When Charles Darwin wrote his thesis on the origin of species, it opened the door for living without a purpose beyond the here and now. Because of Darwin's theory, it should not surprise us that so many today live with no greater expectation and hope than to be happy before ceasing to exist forever. It's the ultimate cause behind destructive drug abuse. It explains much of the selfishness and the disharmony in our world. And it significantly contributes to many other ills that afflict our postmodern world. The Apostle Paul understood the consequences of such a futile and short-sighted existence when he wrote in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. One thing is certain. If Darwin and his followers are correct, life can have no lasting meaning. On the other hand, if Darwin was wrong and there is a real Creator God, it behooves us to discover what His grand purpose is for us. Which view is correct? Are we the result of chance or are we the result of a purposeful creation? Stay tuned. Warm welcome to all of you from Tomorrow's World and the Living Church of God, the sponsor of this program. Charles Darwin's theory of evolution opened up the idea that man is not the result of creation by a higher intelligence, but is the result of blind chance and luck. Was he correct? Could life come to be on this planet without a Creator God? Due to limited time on this program, I'll not address all the problems with Darwin's theory, and believe me, there are problems, major problems. But for our purpose today, I'll address just one problem with his theory. Then we'll notice a few quotes from evolutionists themselves that show how evolutionary theory is based in the realm of a secular religion rather than science. And we'll notice how this theory has altered man's worldview. Then I'll briefly show what the Bible says about the purpose of life. It's important at the beginning to clarify what is meant by Darwinism. Charles Darwin's theory opened the door, but over time, scientists realized that some of the nuts and bolts of his theory came up short. Terms such as neo-Darwinism and modern evolutionary synthesis are used to explain how scientists have altered their views on Darwin's original thesis. But the bottom line is the same. All life is a result of naturalism. That is, natural processes apart from any outside source. Or to put it another way, evolution leaves no room for God or some other form of intelligence to be the source of life. One problem with the evolutionary concept is its lack of evidence. But most have never considered this possibility and blindly believe science has plenty of it. After all, 
we've seen those evolutionary trees in science textbooks showing the development of one kind from another. Then there are the pictures of mythical transitional figures between reptiles and birds. But that's the problem. They're mythical figures and mythical life trees. The facts tell a very different story. The very term evolution means that something changes gradually with small, almost imperceptible steps. For one creature kind to evolve into another creature kind, many steps must take place. This means that there ought to be countless intermediate fossils that could be easily found, but this is not the case. Michael Denton poses this question about the lack of evidence in the fossil record. But as by this theory, innumerable transitional forms must have existed, why do we not find them embedded in countless numbers in the crust of the Earth? As an example, whales are considered to have evolved from some unknown land mammal, which, by the way, is nowhere found in the fossil record. But exactly how could this occur? How could a land animal evolve into our modern whales? Denton gives an abbreviated list of modifications that must have occurred for this to happen. Forelimb modifications, the evolution of tail flukes, the streamlining, reduction of hind limbs, modifications of skull to bring nostrils to the top of the head, modifications of trachea, modifications of behavior patterns, specialized nipples so that the young could feed underwater. A complete list would be enormous. One is inclined to think in terms of possibly hundreds, even thousands of transitional species on the most direct path between a hypothetical land ancestor and the common ancestor of modern whales. The same scenario would have to play out between reptiles and birds, fish and land creatures, or for that matter, any change from one kind to another. But the fact is there are no transitional forms. The very rare supposed examples given in textbooks are exactly that, supposed examples. Paleontologists have sought for decades for the missing link between an ape-like creature and man. Ape-like is an accurate description because whatever this supposed link was between man and animal primates, it no longer exists and hasn't been found in the fossil record. It is referred to as a common ancestor and is exactly what we refer to as a transitional form. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Your Ultimate Destiny. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call today. Now, sheer logic dictates that there must be many more intermediate or transitional forms than the original and the end creature. But where are all these intermediates? They aren't there. The absence of intermediates, although damaging, was not fatal in 1860, for it was reasonable to hope that many would eventually be found as geological activities increased. 
Only a small fraction of the 100,000 or so fossil species known today were known to Darwin. But virtually all new fossil species discovered since Darwin's time have either been closely related to known forms or like the Paganophorus, strange unique types of unknown affinity. Have you ever considered the implications of this lack of evidence? Scientists and paleontologists often talk about the missing link. But it isn't a single missing link. It is tens of thousands of links that are missing. Denton also writes, The overall picture of life on Earth today is so discontinuous, the gaps between the different types so obvious, that as Stephen Stanley reminds us in his recent book, Macroevolution, if our knowledge of biology was restricted to those species presently existing on Earth, quote, we might wonder whether the doctrine of evolution would qualify as anything more than an outrageous hypothesis. For the record, Stephen Stanley is a paleontologist and evolutionary biologist, but he's not alone in admitting there's a problem with the evidence. Michael Ruse is a well-known philosopher, evolutionist, and self-identified skeptic. In a Boston Globe newspaper report titled Evolutionary War, we learn the following background on Michael Ruse. In 1981, Ruse testified in a case in which an Arkansas judge ruled that creation science, which the state had tried to introduce in schools, was not valid science, but an unconstitutional attempt to teach religion in the classroom. The Supreme Court upheld the decision in 1987. However, Ruse altered his opinion regarding the source of some of evolution's strengths some years later. In late March 1992, University of California Berkeley law professor Philip Johnson invited Ruse to take part in what became known as a Darwinian Symposium at Southern Methodist University. Johnson was a convert to the idea that evolution is a flawed theory after reading Michael Denton's book and has become a significant figure in the debate. Ruse, who seems to be a rather reasonable fellow, welcomed the opportunity to discuss the question on an academic level in a gentlemanly fashion. Johnson's contribution to the debate has been to shine light on the fact that Evolutionary science is not an entirely objective science, but is based on naturalism, which is a philosophy that assumes the entire realm of nature to be a closed system of material causes and effects, which cannot be influenced by anything from outside. The gentleman's discussion between Johnson, Ruse, and the other participants at the symposium had an impact. A year later, Ruse spoke at the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in Boston to make a presentation at the new Anti-Evolutionism Seminar, which was organized to challenge the fledgling intelligent design movement. His talk was to address the growing Philip Johnson problem. He began with a critique of Johnson's book. But what followed was not what these evolutionary scientists wanted to hear. Ruse then abruptly startled his audience by saying he had been rethinking the issue of philosophical basis in recent years. And after his participation in the symposium, 
he had changed his mind on a key point, quote, I must confess in the ten years since I performed or I appeared in the creationism trial in Arkansas, I must say that I've been coming to this kind of position myself, end quote. Sadly, not all scientists are so honest. He then went on to say, For many evolutionists, evolution has functioned as something with elements which are, let us say, akin to being a secular religion. Notice that. Here is a world-famous evolutionist and philosopher telling us that evolution is akin to a secular religion. But he wasn't finished. He continued, Evolution, akin to religion, involves making certain prior or metaphysical assumptions which at some level cannot be proven empirically. And I think that the way to deal with creationism, but the way to deal with evolution also, is not to deny these facts, but to recognize them and to see where we can go as we move on from there. While Stanley and Ruse continue to believe in evolution, in spite of their admissions that its strength is at least in part based on philosophical assumptions, a number of highly educated and respected Ph.D. professors have gone over to the other side. Microbiologist Michael Behe was another convert of Denton's, and in an interview given in the video Unlocking the Mysteries of Life, Behe was asked why he had a change of mind regarding evolution. He explained that he had always assumed evolution to be true, but when he read Denton's book he realized that there were very difficult problems for Darwinian evolution, which I had never thought about and which no one in all my studies leading to my Ph.D. had bothered to mention. I immediately recognized that they were difficult problems, and I became angry that nobody had brought these up. I felt like I was being led down the garden path to a conclusion that didn't really have the evidential support that I thought it had. The fossil record has taken a backseat to the even greater challenges to evolutionary theories from microbiology. But the fossil record still remains a huge problem for life resulting from chance. Darwin might have been excused 150 years ago for lack of fossil evidence, but it is evident today that none of the tens of thousands, yea millions of intermediaries, otherwise known as missing links, have been or will be found. They simply aren't there. And for scientists to maintain the charade that given enough time they will find them is inexcusable. It is neither scientific nor honest. And I might add, anyone who has looked into this subject is not living in reality if he fails to recognize and admit the problem. So what is Darwin's contribution to the world? Darwin's legacy, and that of his followers who continue to tweak his broken theory, is a purposeless existence. It was because Darwinian theory broke man's link with God and set him adrift in a cosmos without purpose or end that its impact was so fundamental. No other intellectual revolution in modern times so profoundly affected the way men viewed themselves and their place in the universe. The idea has come to touch every aspect of modern thought, 
And no other theory in recent times has done more to mold the way we view ourselves and our relationship to the world around us. The triumph of evolution meant the end of the traditional belief in the world as a purposeful created order, the so-called teleological outlook which had been predominant in the Western world for two millennia. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Your Ultimate Destiny. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call today. Chance cannot explain or give purpose. It's God, not evolution, that gives purpose to life. There can be no lasting purpose without God, because only God can give life beyond the grave. The Bible tells us about a man named Job. After a series of severe trials upon Job, he asked the most important question that can ever be asked, and then he gave the answer. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. The very first chapter of the Bible declares God's purpose for us. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Other scriptures elaborate on this original theme. The Bible often refers to human beings as potential children of God. Here's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Instead of digging in the ground in a futile search for the millions of missing links that simply aren't there, man ought to be looking up and discovering the God who made us and offers us a great, glorious, and everlasting purpose. A young shepherd boy who later became king once wondered when looking up into the night sky, What is man that you, that is God, are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? That's from Psalm 8 and verse 4. David recognized that man was not like any other living creature, but was above all. Notice how he continues in verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. Over a thousand years later, the Apostle Paul referred to this very same question, but he continued the thought. We read of this in the second chapter in the book of the Bible known as Hebrews. After repeating the question, Paul then recounts what King David recognized, that man is unique among all living creatures, and we have been given a special place on this earth and in the universe. He goes one step further than David in saying 
beginning in verse 8, For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Why? The simple answer is that we have not learned to live in harmony on this small planet that sits insignificantly in the vastness of space. Why would God give us more territory to fight over? Before we can rule space, we must first learn how to rule our individual selves, and to this end, God has provided a way. The very one who gave his life emptied himself of his divine power to become a man to pay the penalty for our sins and to infuse us with power from on high to change us. Paul continues in verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, with the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Notice that the end result of Christ's actions is to bring many sons to glory. Of course, we cannot forget another passage of Scripture, Romans the 8th chapter, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Do we begin to see a pattern here? Genesis 1:26. Let us make man in our image. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. You shall be my sons and daughters. Hebrews 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him to bring many sons to glory. And Romans 8:14. Those led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There is much more that the Bible tells us about the purpose of our existence. Sadly, too few actually study the Bible, and fewer still take it for what it really says. Much of the problem is that they read it through the lens of their upbringing, assuming that what they have heard all their lives is what the Bible says. But I challenge you, to read this amazing book and find out for yourself what it says. It reveals that we have been placed on this earth for a grand purpose, far beyond anything we could conceive. We are not like the animals. No living creature comes close to having the mind of man. How could such a superior mind evolve? Evolution can't answer this question, but the Bible can. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? This passage of Scripture and others tell us that there is a spirit in man. This is not an immortal soul, but something spiritually driven that empowers the human brain. For example, I went to school with a man who received his Ph.D. from the University of California at Los Angeles one of the most prestigious universities in America. He wrote his doctoral thesis on the subject of the non-physical component to the human brain. In it, he explained that the size and complexity of the human brain simply cannot explain the difference between human and animal intelligence. Yes, the human brain is larger than most animals, but not all. A few have larger brains, 
but they can't do what man does. While they can think to a certain degree, they cannot understand calculus. They cannot send their kind to the moon and bring them back safely. They cannot build computers, airplanes, or hospitals. The difference is so vast. What this man wrote in his doctoral thesis is in exact agreement with the Bible. There is a non-physical component to the human brain. But the scripture goes on to say, even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Yes, there is another spirit, the Spirit of God, and this spirit must be united together with the human spirit if we are to be the children of God. Notice Romans 8, beginning in verse 16. So the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Most people today live without any lasting purpose. They live for today and think that cramming as much fun and pleasure into their lives will make them happy. And no doubt this does for a time. But one day this all comes to an end, and the end is often preceded by a slow, painful, and ignominious decline. It is only then that people want to know, what is the purpose for my life? Is this all there is? By this time it's a little late to begin the search. Sadly, Darwin opened up the door to a purposeless driven life and replaced meaning with chance and luck. Mankind is left without an understanding that a power much greater than ourselves offers to us a grand purpose, life and his family as his children forever. The theory of evolution can look attractive on the surface. It's popular. It's politically correct. It's always presented as authoritative, as though it's based on evidence when it's far more akin to a secular religion than true science. The fossil record doesn't lie. To learn more about the purpose for your very existence, be sure to go to our website that will be shown momentarily to read or download our free publication, Your Ultimate Destiny. It explains exactly what the Bible says God's purpose for man is, and it's far more exciting than the monotonous life on a cloud or eternal trance-like state of nirvana described by many. Isn't it time you discovered why you were born and the very purpose of your life? Be sure to come back next week at this same time to learn more about tomorrow's world and God's great plan for mankind. See you next time. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Your Ultimate Destiny. It answers the question of why you were born and the amazing purpose for your very existence. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. Call 1-866-784-7895. Or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, PO Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. 
revealing God's principles for living an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. Call 1-866-784-7895. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call, write, or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.